1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
0: For decades, Milk has been fueling women marathon runners as the OG performance drink. And in the new docuseries Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers takes us on a journey of self-discovery as she meets several groups of empowered women runners to find out what drives them what fuels them, and what pushes them to go the distance. And in the process, she learns that she too can be a distance runner. You can watch the series at runningsuckstheseries.com and register for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon at everywomansmarathon.com.
1: Hey, it's Max. We've got a short bonus episode for you today, a conversation with Noreen Malone, uh, who wrote an incredible cover story in this week's New York magazine. I'm sure you've seen it, uh, but in case you haven't, Noreen and her colleagues interviewed and photographed 35 women who have come forward with stories of being drugged and raped or assaulted by Bill Cosby over the last several decades. Um, The package they produced, it's one of the most powerful things I've ever seen in a magazine. And as soon as I saw it, I shot an a note, asked her to come by the office, answer a few questions I had just about how they put it together, how they decided to tell that story, uh, what it was like to interview those women. And she did. So here's that conversation. It's uh, way shorter than a normal episode, just a bonus thing. We'll be back on Wednesday with a typical full-length episode. Uh, And thanks, as always, to the good people at MailChimp and Tiny Letter for uh, making it possible for us to do this kind of thing. Hey, Noreen Malone. Hi, Max. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think you're the first person to come on that I've uh, Well, I guess that's not true. But you and I have worked together. That was the thing I was going to say. Have, yeah. Uh,
2: you edited a story of mine yeah. uh, for Good Magazine. R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. about how booze causes gentrification.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was something bars. about how like, bars, bars are called, changing yeah. cities in the Midwest. I don't know. I feel like I had a really good, uh, really terrible pun headline. That I there flows on. the neighborhood. <laughs> there flows the neighborhood. I remember it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. it's pretty good. That was pretty good.
1: Yeah. We should talk about this cover story that uh, you and New York Magazine put out this week. It is called Cosby, The Women, An Unwelcome Sisterhood. Okay. How long did it take? When did you start working on it?
2: The idea actually came from our photo department. I think what a lot of people have been reacting to is the power of the cover. Um, And that was really the intent of the story in the beginning was very visual. So Hannibal Burris in October did a show in Philadelphia where he said Bill Cosby's a serial rapist, basically. And it went viral. One woman who had come forward 10 years ago and sort of been essentially shamed in the media um, wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post about how no one had believed her. And then a bunch of other women came forward and said, I believe you because it happened to me too. So this is happening sort of like... You know almost like one a day during like november right. early december and everyone was covering it like tmz was all over it people was all over it. And, it and we were covering it on vulture um like this updated timeline but it you know it didn't feel like a new york magazine story because it felt tabloidy um, uh-huh. or something uh but jody kwan who's our photo director had the idea that if you just saw them all together the volume would really just sort of knock you backwards and you would and and people were still at that time i think people were mostly believing the women but like not totally and and
1: it was and it was disparate like it was these like voices that would pop up and it was being covered by all these places but kind of just in that like media churn way totally totally
2: and so she uh literally did photo research on all them like she she basically pulled images of them um and did little like quick research into you know what had happened and and so she got I don't remember how many there were at that time but she had this manila folder with um all of their images and I was actually I was in a meeting with her about I'd written a memo about another visual story that I wanted to do and at the end of it she kind of pulled out this folder and she's like let me show you something she was tra- sort of trying to drum up support uh within the magazine for this project because the concept was an expensive one that we were going to find these women from all over the country and photograph them you know you have to fly people various places that's like really expensive get a get a fancy expensive photographer um, so she was basically just drumming up support um, and then she wanted to see if like it could work so she called up six of the women she got their contact info many of them had lawyers they you know they'd all come forward and so she called up six to say you know would you be up for? This project and all six were very enthusiastic so she was like okay this can work and then somewhere in there as she was like proposing it I got attached as like to write the intro which was gonna be shorter at the time um, so then I was
1: just sort of like on the team so you guys decide you're gonna do this project how many had come forward at that point
2: 30 ish had come okay. forward around then and now it's 46
1: right And you guys had thirty five in the magazine. We did, Um,
2: and a week ago we only had, or a week and a half ago we only had thirty one. So people came forward at the very last minute to us.
1: Tell me about what it was like to approach those women with this idea. Like, like it must have been different than you know convincing a source for a normal story.
2: These women were, for the most part, happy to do it. I think this moment felt for a lot of them very cathartic. And we were pretty sensitive to what we were asking of them. We were promising a beautiful photo shoot, basically. I think that these women had already made the difficult decision to come in front of the media
1: mm-hmm. before. Like, But many of them had made that decision on their own, right? I mean, but it was part of that conversation about the idea that you guys had about sort of putting them as many of them as possible in a room together. Well,
2: that people loved. So actually, many of the women, as we were trying to get people's phone numbers and just figure out, like, okay, who's out here? Like, who's, you know, who who should we include? Like, the women helped us connect up with one another, which was Mm -hmm. really interesting. Like, they had this sort of behind-the-scenes network. A huge selling point that it it wasn't just going to be, like, just one woman having to shoulder that burden of, you know, attention alone, that they would be doing it all together, and that people could see
1: you know just just the volume of it the photos and the videos that are are on the website are just beautiful and the women look amazing yeah they look great was that part of the conversation like did you guys explain the vision of how they'd be presented
2: So part of the concept from the beginning was also that the focus was going to be on the women, that it had been, you know, the story had been about Cosby. Um, You'll notice that there's no photo of Cosby in in our picture. And part of focusing on the women was just treating them as well as possible, you Mm -hmm. know, and that that, like certainly extends to the photographs.
1: And how did that extend to the conversations? I mean, you interviewed many of them. Mm -hmm. What were those interviews like?
2: I was actually really nervous to do them because I haven't, I haven't really reported on rape and sexual assault, and I like emailed someone I know who has, and asked her like, you know, what should I do? And she was basically like, the best thing you can do is just be an empathetic listener, and if you have to ask probing questions, like explain that I have to ask probing questions because it's better for everyone involved if we get everything clear. Like I just basically started with the question, tell me about when you met Bill Cosby, and it kind of came pouring out. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Once you have all that raw material. Like, once you have all these interviews with these 35 women, how, how do you make the decision to tell the story the way you guys end up telling it, which is you wrote an essay, and then there was almost as much text in the magazine, certainly, and also on the web, of women telling the, their own stories and in, in mm-hmm. their own words. Did you guys think about other ways to treat that? How did you land there?
2: You know, really, we had thought of this as as a photo essay from the beginning, so it was kind of like... So one reason we thought we would just do captions was because it was simple, and it, like, you'd see the volume without, you know, us sort of weighing in too much or whatever. But then we sort of looked at the transcripts of all these interviews that we'd done, and there was just, like, a ton of material, like hundreds yeah. of pages. And it was really compelling, and to boil, to, like, just not look at, use that, and to have one quote under each woman's felt like a waste and kind of bloodless and just weird to not do that. Um, so then we decided it would be like a written through piece, mm-hmm. like a traditional sort of feature. And as I started to write it, that didn't feel right either. So basically, what I did was as I went through the transcripts and like found the you know the lines that stuck out, the quotes that I wanted to use, I sort of like actually color categorize them in my like Google doc by, you know, like pink was like description of the alleged incident and like, you know, whatever green was like their decision to come forward and just literally arrange it in like a color block um, and then wove together an oral history that was attached to an intro that sort of explained, hopefully contextualized like... um, basically as I was reading them I had the thought that this was like a longitudinal study like these yeah, women that, this had happened you know in the 60s and they'd been living with this all these decades but also like America had been living with the term rape culture it always makes me a little a feel a little weird but but that idea but that yeah. America had been the way America treats you know people who, who allege rape very differently now than they did than we did then
1: that I think that leap that you took is is part of what made this so impactful, I think. It made it a bigger story than just Cosby. And part of what's so striking about the visual, is this isn't a story that we see women of this age associated with. Right, totally. I feel like uh, it's been like a rape on campus has been a huge story for the last couple of years. The way that we've come to talk about sexual assault in the last couple of years feels very different. Mm-hmm. But we don't see a lot of women in their 50s, 60s, attached to this story. and being able to connect it back to what the culture around rape and sexual assault was like in the late 60s and 70s and 80s. What was amazing about the story was it made me think about how many other people must be living with these stories.
2: Yeah, totally. Like it just, um, you know, these people like in, in the arc of human history are not that much older than us and just the way that they thought about all of this was so that the way that they thought about it when they were my age for instance was so different than the way I think about it and even though these women had like decades to think about it and most of them had really come to a place where they felt they were literally using language that you hear campus rape activists use um, which I thought was really interesting and striking but they still had this like some of them had this like leftover feeling of shame, which is, you know, sort of how many of them reacted when they say this happened to them. You know, it just like was something they everyone kept using the word bottled up inside. People kept saying, I literally didn't, you know, rape was something that happened in, uh, you know, in a dark park. People kept saying the same things over and over again. We interviewed them all separately. That was what was so striking, like down to the details of, you know, what they say Cosby did. And then also just the way that they processed it. So that was just, really fascinating
1: yeah and unbelievable particularly though the similarity in the in their ex- experiences it's just
2: I think this was why Jody's idea was so good that she understood like you know you're reading this stuff and the news and it all starts to run together right because you're like oh haven't I heard this one before right.
1: yeah exactly um
2: you know and generally in journalism we try not to be repetitive uh, but in this case the echoes were what helped us know how to shape the story if that makes any sense.
1: Sure yeah I mean it was it was about trying to tie all of this together because
2: mm-hmm.
1: it had been such a I mean it, like it, the story broke because Hannibal Burris made a joke and someone uploaded it on YouTube you know like <laughs> right. uh, it had been such a kind of like social media bite sized story. Right. It was I hadn't been able to tell any of these women apart really before your story. I mean
2: Right no I know I it's, it's like there are just a lot of them unfortunately. <laughs>
1: yeah um, so one other question just about the kind of like journalistic process here. This is a story that, that as we're talking about like has been showing up everywhere across social media and, and tons of different websites being covered from sort of every angle. And then last week the Times found that deposition, uh, where Cosby admitted to giving quaaludes to women in order to have sex with them. You'd been working on this project for months. What was it like to have news breaking about this story elsewhere like uh did it impact the way you wanted to tell the story did it was it just like frustrating what was that like
2: well i got like a news alert on my phone on saturday night i was like in a great mood like getting ready to go out and i just was like fuck uh and i just sat down and read the whole thing and i was like actually it's okay Um, And then I read it a second time and I was like, oh, this is in a weird dark way good for us because he looks so bad Mm -hmm. and we're gonna hit, like we're gonna hit the news cycle just at the right time.
1: Yeah. It made it so you didn't even have to make the argument that this was true.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think we, I was already there. Like I already had, I'd read these transcripts. I already felt very comfortable with what we were publishing. Um, But I think it got other people to that place where like, okay, like (laughs) this is like really whatever,
1: whatever shred of doubt was left about America's dad is. uh...
2: Yeah. But it actually, I mean, in a very concrete way helped our story because I think, you know, going into that weekend, we had 31 women who'd signed up and there were women who would said no to us before they agreed after that came out. One woman. um, So it was very important to us that we have people, as many people as possible use their full name like that that's where the integrity of the story rested, um, that people were standing behind their words and very publicly, their faces. Um, and one woman had only wanted to use her first name. Um, she actually, her interview had been very interesting. She'd, she would she's very thoughtful and she said, you know, I, I let my ambitions get in the way. She sort of blamed herself, in the, but in this very thoughtful way thinking about what her, you know, what she had wanted to get out of her interactions with Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. Um, she was just Kind of waffling, and and she'd send me an email that Monday morning after the Time story had come out, and she said, "I want to use my full name, my my name, maiden name included in there because he can't say we're lying anymore." Um, and I thought that was kind of great. And then, yeah, we we, um, we had a couple, th- three other women who also were added to the story in that last week, so so it helped us in that yeah. way.
1: It, but it seemed like I mean that was another thing that was so consistent in what the women were saying in those interviews was just knowing that they weren't alone. Uh, mm-hmm. Was incredibly powerful and and uh, sort of gave them the strength to come forward, knowing that there were thirty four other women that were going to be next to them.
2: Yeah, it was. It's like a weird thing, right? Because you don't want to say that like every woman who's raped should have like proof of uh, you know the fact that that her rapist is a serial rapist. Like you, you know you shouldn't have to have thirty five other women backing you up in order to allege that. But in this case, it really just sort of it. it it was a very particular thing that shifted the conversation that way.
1: Why do you think it happened now? There were these women who came forward 10 years ago and they got shamed. And and, and uh, there was one woman in there, Helen Gumbel, I think is her name, who said she like brought this story to some big columnist, some big gossip columnist and got turned away. Yeah. Like, why now?
2: I sort of get annoyed when people say social media is the answer to everything. But I do think, Who says that? <laughs> no, I mean, I say it all the time. If ever I'm writing something like that's about the way we live now, and I don't, I don't know quite what the idea argument turn is. I'm like, Argh. so Twitter, like Facebook, <laughs> something. Uh, but, but I think that's really true here. So, you know, in 2005, these women, you know, were, were contacting places like the National Enquirer, and they were contacting people. Um, those were the places that had the megaphones one of these women came forward literally in a Facebook comment. So that's one thing, just like that there isn't, especially about a celebrity now, there isn't this one narrative, right? Like Bill Cosby is a very rich, connected guy, and he still is a rich, connected guy. And, and in 2015, that gets you plenty of places. But I think, you know, celebrities have less control over their narrative in the media. That's one thing. Also, social media just like, I genuinely think it has changed the conversation around rape, um, particularly for like women younger than me. Right, so women in their in their early twenties or in college, I think, were really radicalized by things like the Steubenville rape a few years ago, and have just picked up on incidents like this and acted almost as a megaphone for things like this and like created a community. I think like just. I don't know, just people are ready to be on the side of women in things like this. And it's hard to pinpoint exactly why, but it's a combination of those factors.
1: What was it like uh, having this story be like go crazy viral on the social media, just changing the world <laughs> and, uh, and have your site go down?
2: <laughs> that was uh, frustrating. Is that really
1: a coincidence?
2: As far as I know, so I don't know really any more than you do. So, uh, yeah, we thought maybe, like, we'd had so much traffic, it had broken the Internet. No. Uh, we, were, we had a denial of service attack from the guy who claimed responsibility is, I guess, like a teenage hacker. I'm, I'm not speaking for the magazine here. This is just, like, what I know. Yeah. He's from L.A., had a bad time in New York once, and now makes, like, a hobby of attacking New York Based sites or like New York affiliated sites, so he just happened to be like, oh, tonight New York Magazine going down, but it was crazy and like, that's you know, so random. It yeah. was so random, and then so I mean, this
1: has got to be like one of the biggest stories of the year for you guys.
2: I, yeah, I mean, I hope I the traffic's been good, but so it was like this. The, our interactives team had spent like the whole weekend working on it because. The story was not as big as it ended up being. A week before, we like added a lot of things at the last minute, including like the videos and including mm-hmm. like, just we added some length to a bunch of things. So they like their weekends had already been shot doing this. They'd done this amazing job, looked beautiful, and then it all went crashing down. And we were like, our our editor in chief was like, okay, let's publish it on Tumblr because he really. Wanted it to get out there, Um, and so then they and and the the social media team got involved, and they were like really great about this. They'd already built these like audiograms where they'd layered the video over Instagram photos of these women. They they spent a while preparing them, and so they could circulate those on Mm -hmm. social media. Like it really was like this magazine wide effort in this way that made me feel. Um, great about working at a magazine where everyone cares so much about their jobs and um, just felt very warm and glowy. But it was it was like I don't know. It just felt like really rotten timing. <laughs> and then it and then it went back up and it's all it's all good. But I will say, it uh, a lot of people were still tweeting about it while I while it was down. And I was like, you you haven't read it. You, like, yeah, like I literally know this time that you haven't
1: read this. <laughs> you, you couldn't have possibly read it. <laughs> yeah. Noreen, thanks so much for taking the time.
2: Thank you.
0: Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) But they choose to do it.